What's the deal, y'all? Welcome back to Universe EA. It's your boy Zan and my nigga Davion back in the building again. What up? <laughs> the delay reaction. Man, but we got an interesting, interesting. Oh, it's an older true crime topic today, man. It's some. Something I ain't even told Davion. He actually been waiting for the past couple of days for me to talk about this because I told him I wasn't gonna tell him the notes. But uh, but yeah. Oh, before I get started and get into this deep, dark, gruesome, fucked up <laughs> piece of shit with this goddamn piece of dry lettuce in the middle of the desert, man. Let me throw out a couple shout outs to my boy Aaron with his clothing brand, Feel Your Void. You can get his merchandise. He puts his own art on his own hoodies, t-shirts, and crew necks. Holla at him on Facebook at Aaron Chandler. On Facebook at Aaron Chandler. And my boy Chef Fresh, my man. Master Boogie Chef Fresh in the building. Look, he got the best meals all over the city. For real, for real. And he deliver and you can do pickups. I ain't gonna lie. I pick it up if I was you, but he will bring it to you on time. Everything you need in a good box signed by him. Chef Fresh in the building. And you can holler at him for the good price meals at Chef Fresh on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. And I think it's Master Chef Fresh on Twitter at that. But it's Chef Fresh all together. You're going to see the food in his background. And I'm telling you, it's delicious. I done had it myself. Uh, But... To hop into the wildest piece of shit I done read. Um, well, not piece of shit. Sorry to these families. I'm about to give a dog-ass censor warning. But also, he is just a piece of shit. Not this case. Damn. And, man, this one is it's really fucked up. This man's name is Albert Fish. If for, for, the, for those of you that do not know who he is. I'm about to break down his whole little background, his whole little story. That I'm sorry I keep stuttering. I don't know what's going on today. It's a lot going on. Um, whoever coined the phrase, you can't make this stuff up, may not have known the real-life boogeyman, Albert Fish. A slight elderly man with gray hair no one even suspected to even be this sadistic child-murdering cannibal. And I also get all my information from Murder Minute. Also, I'm reading off this and some of the pictures I will post onto Twitter. But back to the story. Albert Fish's crimes have remained unsolved and he had not answered for seeking employment by 18-year-old Edmund Budd. Now, really, when he first had started off, without me even reading what I broke down and looked up on my own, he basically just put a little ad out and said he needed help. And that's how he ended up getting this person that he's talking about. Mm. So, on May 28, 1928, Albert Fish introduced himself as Frank Howard. Knocked on the door of the Bud residence to lure young Edward away as his next victim. Literally, this nigga next victim. Like, it wasn't even... He was on some wild shit. But, um... Howard told grand tales of a farm, 100 chickens, half a dozen dairy cows... And of how he and his children had built a farm, a successful one, and he needed more help on the farm. He offered him around the time $15 a week. That's a lot of money back then in 1928. Not going to even hold you. Mm -hmm. But 
Mr. Howard returned, but he was delayed. He sent a handwritten letter to the Western Union explained and rescheduled. Upon his return, Mr. Howard introduced 10-year-old Gracie Bud. The beautiful young girl made fish plans change to torture and murder. He wanted Gracie instead. Like he was gonna do that to Ed, but he he did it to Gracie instead. Like it was it was messed up. She was a real, real beautiful little girl. Like it was real messed up, man. But after integrating himself into the family over several days, he ended up persuading his parents to allow her to attend his niece's party on the farm. And he would bring her back that evening. Now, mind you, his name is Albert Fish. And he made up a name. And his, they call him Mr. Howard. He made up that he had a farm. He didn't have a farm. Man. He even gave him a fake address for the party, bro. Like, that's how deep this really got. So, when they realized that they really didn't know this man and their daughter never returned home that night, they went to the police and they soon reported that Mr. Everything that they told him was just literally a lie. Like, the police confirmed, like, in this little town that they in, like, there's nobody with this name. Like, there's nobody with none of this. Like, there's no, even no person with a farm over here. We know everybody, basically. Damn, that's fucked up. So, they basically made, like, on the side like milk cartons but they did it in newspapers like missing children they they really just broke it down all the way and a year earlier on february 11th 1927 a four-year-old billy graffy was playing with a three-year-old neighbor in the hallway of an apartment building when both the boys vanished and immediate like the police did a super search of the whole place they were nowhere to be found but other people like the other kids in the building was saying the boogeyman took them like, that's how what they seen the old dude was. He was creepy as hell. They thought he was a bully man. A boogeyman, not bully man, boogeyman. Damn. But as the years passed, Detective William F. King remained determined to keep Gracie's case alive. So in 1934, Detective King persuaded a local paper to publish a story about Gracie's disappearance, asserting that the police were on the verge of a major breakthrough. And it worked. Ten days later, Gracie's mother received a disturbing letter. Basically unable to read the letter. I kind of really can't read it off off here too, but I probably could try to break it down. Nah, it's like it's not even that. Like they wrote it with a quill, bro. Like, but not not a good quill. It's like they got it off a pigeon. <laughs> like, but it's just basically what the heck. So. I don't, he, I don't, I don't even know what the hell this really is, this is what's going on, but, okay, they broke it down in here, so, unable to read the letter, Mrs. Bud handed the letter to Edward, who ran immediately to, de- to, de- to de- oh shit, to Detective King, Fish described how a friend named John had come to develop a taste for human flesh while stranded in China in, ni- in 1894. China was in deep famine that John stated that it led to many cannibalistic ways to survive. Once he returned to New York, John continued to crave it. He resorted to kidnapping children to satisfy his needs. These stories intrigued Fish and made him try it for himself. Fish detailed his last moments of Gracie's life and what became of her body after she, she died. He described taking her to an abandoned, all right, 
I'ma just give y'all a dog ass sensor warning because it's about to get real deep. So he described it as taking her to an abandoned home he had later selected earlier, stripped her he stripped naked while she was outside picking flowers. Then he caught her inside. The little girl began to cry as she saw fish standing there naked looking like a pale, nasty-ass, wet, old potato. Ugh, bro, that is, that is, you sick. I ain't gonna even hold you. But she said she would tell her mother. She screamed that she fought away and struggled for her life, and he strangled the life out of her. The letter concluded, I choked her to death, then cut her into small pieces, took as much meat as I could to my room, cooked it, eat it, how sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. Wow. It took me nine days to eat her entire body, and I did not have sex with her, even though I wished I could. I'm not going to really wow. say what he said. That's That wasn't even right, bro. And he stated she died a virgin. Police wanted to believe this horrific letter was slightly the ravings of a crackpot or a pervert looking for attention, but it was too accurate for Mrs. Howard's meeting with the Buzz and Young Gracie. And the handwriting matched Frank Howard's previous letter to the Western Union six years earlier. The envelope from the letter held another clue that would be able to, it would just unravel his doings, basically. And none of the stuff that they found was a match, so they really didn't know who he was at the time. So, however, a janitor from the building became, he came forward, low-key shout out to this janitor for real high-key at the same time. He said that he seen, he confessed to have taken some of the NYPCBA stationery and left it behind in the border house where he had moved. Armed with the address, the police questioned the landlady of the border house. She confirmed that the description of Frank, Frank Howard was strikingly sim- similar to a border she had, an elderly man who had moved out the house days prior to the incident, a man named Albert H. Fish. The lady explained that Mr. Fish had asked her to hold on to the letter he was expecting for his son, who sent his father some money. Detective King hatched a plan to catch Fish. The post office intercepted the letter and informed the police, who had now waited for Mr. Fish to return to his old border house to retrieve it. Oh, yeah, it's on a real nigga day when they caught his nasty ass. On December 13th, 1934, they finally did it. As he shipped, as he sipped some tea, the former landlady discreetly called Detective King. When King arrived, Fish confirmed that it was the identity before putting the razor blade out of his detective bid as the last bid to escape. King easily disarmed the old man and said, I got you now. Yeah. Look at this picture. Got his ass. He, he covering up. his fucking face? Yeah. After you did all, you gonna cover your face looking real stupid. Man, you're going to do that dirt. Just do it. I'll take a picture. I'm telling you, bro. You was doing shit like that. You, you really. You fucking kid. You was eating kids, bro. You even said you. Man, what? I'll take a picture of this fish face while they, he over here trying to cover his face, man. So, back to the story. Uh, Capture Fish freely confessed to his crimes. The police were, were not prepared for the depth of his depravity. Admitted to all Detective King, Fish told his overwhelming bloodlust. He explained his initial plan was to mutilate and leave Edward Bud for dead. 
Fish detailed how he had gone to his first meeting with the young man to purchase the tools to satisfy his urges, a saw, a cleaver, a butcher's knife. Fish was going to take Edward to the abandoned house in Westchester, tie the young man up, cut his penis off, let him bleed to death. Damn, bro. You a man yourself. That's sick. Fish wrapped his bundle of tools and hit him in the newsstand on his way to retrieve Ed and Edward's friend, who was also looking for employment. You trying to get you a two for one, huh? You wow. That's. Bro. You just thought, yeah, I can get him in. I don't know. We gonna rush this ass. You think about to go to work? You think he about to kill us, bro, like this? Nah, bro. Kick his knees out. You would have, bro. You would have. He this, this old you see this old ass man, bro. I would have. Did they say how tall he was? No, nah, but he was. They was like sixteen, seventeen though. They supposed to rush this old ass, but I'm I'm sorry that it, that what happened to him. But man, um, yeah, who was also looking for employment? Surely Fish could overpower them both. Upon his return to the residence, Fish would lay his cruel eyes on Grace. He decided it was it was her who he needed to kill. After convincing her parents attended to attend a fictitious party, Fish stopped at the newsstand to retrieve his tools with the unsuspecting Gracie in tow, and they went to the train station to go to Westchester, New York, to his home to a home called Wisteria Cottage for Gracie. Fish would only pursue a one-way ticket. The rest was just fish detailed in the letter. Stripped naked to keep his clothing. He stripped naked to all oh, so he didn't have no blood on his clothes. That's really some serial killer mindset shit right there. Like, I know I'm about to murder you, so I'm about to just get naked, bro. Like, what? Called Gracie into the home. He strangled her. When she was dead, he decapitated her, mutilated her, dismembered the rest of her body. Wrapping it into pieces and newspaper to take it home to eat it. He returned several days later and disposed of the rest of the body all over the house. Damn. I'm sorry I'm reading like that. This is this is just sad. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Yeah, I'm a I'm we we need to take us a little like a little breaker real quick. Yeah. Alright y'all, we back. We had to take a monetary break on that because that, that was just a little messed up. But we right back to it. Fish will lead the police to her remains the following day. As the police located the young girl's skull, he showed no emotions. At 64 years old, Albert Fish was no stranger to the law at the time for Gracie's murder. In fact, Fish was arrested and jailed in 1903 for grand larceny. He would go to be arrested no less than six times for crimes ranging from thrift, theft to sending obscene letters. But each time the charges were dropped or was sent to be believed, sent to Belleville Psychiatric Hospital for observation, but released, deemed harmless, insane at each time. They deemed this nigga sane, bro. Like, let him back out. Yeah, bro, this monster. 
While Manhattan was building their cases against Fish for kidnapping Gracie Bud, the Westchester County was preparing to indict him for charges of first-degree murder. The police tried desperately to keep Fish's cannibalism out of the newspaper and carefully worded the indictments to re avoid revealing the aspects of the offense, but the crime itself was shocking enough. And then Joseph McKean came forward. He recognized Fish as the older man he's seen trying to comfort a young boy who was crying despondently for his mother on a trolley in Brooklyn, February 11, 1927. The child without a coat or hat in the frigid weather and the older man seemed nervous. Suspicious, Joseph watched the man carefully until he dragged the weeping boy into the trolley. Mm -hmm. The young boy missing was Billy Gaffey. Billy's boogeyman had been real. Confronted with his account, Fish admitted to the horrific fate that little Billy endured. Fish took Billy to another abandoned house, stripped him naked, bound him to his feet, gagged him. He burns Billy's clothes and left the child alone until the next day. What the hell? Fish returned around 2 p.m. with his homemade cat and tails, a whip with bare and whipped his bare body until blood ran down his legs, cut off his ears, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged his eyes out, and then left him to die with a knife sticking out of his belly and held his hand over his mouth while he drank his own blood. You fucking sick. You fucking sick. It's a special place in hell for you, bro. When he finished, Fish bisected the little boy's body and dismembered it. He stuffed the remains in an old potato sack that weighed that he weighed down with stones. He would throw these stones in the water on North Beach. Fish saved pieces of Billy's body to take home to eat. I had the I had the front of his body I liked the best. His his monkey and his peewees and his nice little fat behind to roast in the oven and eat. I made stew out of his ears, nose, and face pieces and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt, and pepper in. It was good. He's sick. What the? F Bro, I don't even. I don't even get this dude. Like he, what? Fish stated that it took four days to consume him. Not a part of Billy's body was ever recovered. Still more reports about Albert Fish would follow. A Staten Island man stated that Fish had attempted to lure eight -year -old, his eight-year-old daughter into the woods, but he chased him off in July of 1924. Three days later, nine-year-old Francis O'Dell would be found murdered, mutilated, and hanging from a tree in those same woods. Francis O'Donnell's mother, Anne, and several of Francis' companions that day reported seeing an old elderly gaunt man behaving strangely, clenching and hitting his fist, muttering to himself. 
in the street prior to Francis' disappearance. So, he disappeared. Y'all saw this. Nobody just went to go get this dude or called the police, anything. And I'm just... I'm I'm just lost, man. I'm really I'm really just lost. Like wow. Shout out to the dad that chased him out of there. I wish you would have killed the man, but wow. I am not even like victim parent shaming or none of that. Like you was looking for your child and y'all was looking for your friend. I get it, but that's like it's that's wild as hell. Like he was just really out here just doing that shit in broad day. Damn, man. I feel so bad for these kids and their families. He clenched his fist and muttered to himself. Wow. Who could you have been saying to yourself? I'm a fucking dumbass and I should be set on fire and ate by dogs. You feel me? That's what he should. Bro, he should have been set on fire and eaten by dogs, bro. And the rest of the dogs didn't eat. They could they could have gave that to pigs and then gave what the pigs let out the dung beetles. Then gave the dung beetles to snakes, bro. Or whatever eat dung beetles. Then they get ate by the snakes. There it go. And then like a honey badger come eat them and then a lion come eat them and he just that shit just keep getting ate, bro. What the hell? Bro, this he need to be put away, bro. Like he just he out cold, bro. But the man was so frail looking, the police felt that he could not have done it. And they just let it be. So on his trial for first degree murder of Gracie Bud on March eleventh, nineteen thirty five, he pled insanity. He he claimed that God told him to castrate them young boys and kill them. Fish's attorney, James Dempsey, would claim that Fish suffered from lead conlick. Okay. A common affliction due to house painters at the time. Due to excessive exposure, the paint could lead to basically whatever going on with him that he lying about. But ain't nothing making you go and do that to no damn kids. Over the course of 10 days, several psychiatrists testified about Fish's sexual fetishes and perversions. Three defense alienized testified that Fish was insane, suffering from religious psychosis, paranoia, and delusion. A sadist, a a masonist, Fish enjoyed both receiving and inflicting pain. Oh, this is probably about to get wild. I, I'm going to screenshot this and put this on here. No, it's, it's like to him it's wild. Mm-hmm. Like this is disgustingly wild. Fish detailed to Dr. Frederick Whitham his panic for inserting needles in his rectum and scrotum area. He confessed that over the years of practice, many pins and needles went so far he couldn't take them out. Dr. Whitham was suspicious that Fish was lying and ordered x-rays. And it showed more than 29 needles in his pelvis, bro. Look. Damn. He did that to himself. To himself. Where the fuck did that? Bro. 
I'll screenshot this for y'all. I'll put this on. Oh my goodness. Fish will confide in Dr. Whitham his long his long history of preying on children. He estimated he had abused over a hundred children, choosing mostly African American children or mentally disabled individuals early on as he felt the police paid little attention to them. Which around that time it's actually pretty true. They didn't really give a fuck about them. So if they went missing, it's like homeless people now. Like people don't really notice unless it's like people from their neighborhood. If homeless people go missing, mm-hmm. like the police don't really be caring like that, unless they know them from their neighborhood. Like it's one homeless dude I know under Greenfield, like that bridge. He go always be there, and if I don't see him, I really I think he did. Like, cause he was there for, since I was a kid, bro. The persecution led by Chief Assistant District Attorney Albert F. Gallagher called four alienists of their own who stated that Fish was sane. They would testify that t- that Fish knew well aware of his actions was wrong and were termed a sex pervert or sex psychopath. He was not mentally deficient under the law. Grace's parents, Delilah and Albert Budd, would attend a trial and they both would testify against him in a fateful meeting with Mr. Howard. ADA Gallagher would close the case by re- recreating Gracie's murder detailed in Fitch's confession. Finished with his summation, Gallagher reached inside the box and withdrew a small skull. It was hers. Through it all, Fitch remained detached. His attorney, Mr. Dempsey, would focus on Fitch's cannibalism. Surely no sane man can eat another human being. Dempsey would call several of Fitch's children to testify in his strange behavior. His self his self allegations. Okay. The needles, love of raw meat, and religious delusions. Mary described as his as a stepdaughter, though Fish and the woman's mother were not legally married, testified about Fish's favorite game to play with the children. He would only wear a pair of shorts, kneeling in front of them, would have them guess how many fingers would he have behind his back. If they guessed incorrectly, the child would beat him with a stick or a hairbrush in his back. Mary stated Fish never guessed correctly, yet they claimed he had otherwise been a good father, never once raising a hand of them. Fish had raised six children by himself mostly after his wife deserted the family and the youngest of three years old. The jury only took an hour to deliberate and put his ass in prison for first degree murder but he was executed nonetheless in a yeah he was executed though by the electric chair and his last words was I don't even know why I'm here <laughs> like you don't know why okay um he was calm and even assisted the prison guards in putting the electrodes on his head that were about to end his life. After Fish was declared dead, his prison attorney spoke outside and his final statement composed just before his death. I will never show it to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities I've ever seen. Dempsey never released a statement to the police. Like I set that up for y'all. Y'all thought y'all was going to tell y'all, but I didn't. So... 
I know I asked this question and y'all probably asking too, how does somebody become this piece of piece of shit real life? Um, Albert was born Hamilton Fish in Washington, D.C. on May 19, 1870. He was adopted from the name. He was adopted and given the name Albert, basically. From his deceased siblings in hopes of escaping his nickname of Ham and Eggs. 43 years older than his wife, the elder fish would die while at work in 1875. So basically his dad. Um, unable to care for the young fish, his mother gave him up to an orphanage to care for. While a ward of the orphanage, fish was subjected to frequent beatings, whippings of which he developed the fondness to. That's pretty well, that's not actually uncommon. Like, that's how he probably seen love coming from them. That's crazy, though. Like, that that happened like that to the child. Um, yeah, fish would experience erections during these beatings, and other children would tease him for this. Of his time at the orphanage, fish would later state, I was there till I was nearly nine, and that's where I got started. That's where I started wrong. We were unmercifully whipped. I saw boys doing many things they shouldn't have done. By 1879, Fisher's mother was gained full employment and retrieved her son, but the damage was too deep in his sight. At home with his mother, 12 years of age, he began. He got in a sexual relationship with a neighbor boy who introduced him to eating and drinking human waste. Fish also became... Good with lo- visiting local bathhouses to watch other boys undress, commit petty crimes, and start writing obscene letters to women who contact them and found classified ads for matrimonial agencies. This habit he will continue for the rest of his life. He moved to New York around 1890 and claimed to be a prostitute, though he formerly worked as a painter. Wow, this man is just full of tricks. I see. I'm glad that he's dead. I'm not gonna lie, but that's pretty funny though. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman nine years younger than him. The union produced six children before his wife abandoned him in 1917. All while Fish continued to have various relationships with men and molesting children. Okay. Though his preference was for young boys, he molested young girls as well. After his wife left, Fish's fondness for sadomachronism grew. He would self-flagulate with the homemade oh, with the homemade whip embedded in his bed, which his children confirmed witnessing. He would encourage his children and his friends to paddle him. He started to hear voices and fish would develop an obsession with cannibalism. He would no longer resist. His oldest son, Albert Jr., would tell the police after his father arrested the man for eating raw meat and the delusions was where older fish naked would scream at the sky, I am Christ. He used to scream at the sky. Okay. Dr. Wertham. I've been saying his name wrong the whole time. Please forgive me, y'all. Wrote a book about this. It's called The Show of Violence. If you guys want to read it. 
According to him, Fish's family history was rampant mental illness. One patriarchal uncle suffered from a religious psychosis and died in the state of a hospital. A half-brother who also died in the state of hospital. A younger brother who was feeble-minded and died of hydrophilaceous. His mother, who was held very queer and was said to see and hear things. A parental aunt who was considered completely crazy. A brother suffered from chronic alcoholism. A sister had some sort of mental affliction. Ultimately, Fish would confess to three murders. Police suspected Fish to have at least five or more. They tried desperately to tie him to those, but he took them to the grave. Man, this guy here, this guy here was just something. Wow. He really just, he just blew us away, man. He really just blew us away for real. Like, we just really sitting over here lost. Davion sitting here. He really, like, his face is stuck, y'all. I wish y'all could see it. He just lost for words, man. And Jesus, that's disgusting. That is, oh, my Lord. Um, Yeah, on that note, I'm about to get up out of here, man. Uh, Yeah, follow the podcast on Twitter, Universe EA. You gonna see the whole podcast there, all the updates and everything. It's a podcast group, Universe EA on Facebook. Follow me on King of Chaos on Twitter if you want to just see me and see what I'm doing, see who I am. We can chop it up. Send me spooky stories. I love everything and all of them. I'll always talk to you guys, and I love my subscribers, and I love my podcast viewers and listeners. I talk to all of them every time, and I love anime debates. Hit me with anime debates. I'm telling you, we can chop this up all day. I'm with it all. I ain't got nothing else better to do. I'm not going to lie to y'all. But we out of here, y'all. Davion is still in shock. He's saying peace out with his hands. I don't know what's going on no more. Peace. Love y'all.